So poor, poor Dave, he's just been suffering for two weeks now. But uh, when we go to break, you're going to have an opportunity, and you can get bagel-fied uh, during the break period. But right now, you are bagel Um, and that's just where we're at. So <laughs> we're going we're to jump in. All right. Here we go. So Florida has more of what per mile than any other state? They did not put serial killers up there or election fraud, but I think either one of those could have been. <laughs> ah, very good. <laughs> it's not it's not specific. I would say linear mile. We'll go linear. Yeah. We'll go linear. All right, here we go. And what planet has the shortest day? And which planet has the shortest work day? <laughs> That's just what I was thinking. All right, here we go. So announcements. Um, so last Friday we had the men's prayer raid. It was absolutely amazing. Um, spirit filled, a wonderful time. Well, we're having another opportunity to pray. Um, for our country this time, the National Day of Prayer. They're going to, at 7 p.m., start in the main sanctuary out here. for Bud. So if you're here, if you're come, we've got the next men's breakfast. That's going to be May 18th. Now, this is kind of important because we're going to have Greg Boros. He is the uh, leader of George Mason University Campus Crusade for Christ. The guy has gone through some significant challenges, and he's still serving. So it's a great, this is a huge opportunity. So please, Come. Please invite somebody. Bob? <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so one thing on the uh, Pure Desire Ministry um, or the conference, uh, being in this position, you get to know a lot of people. A lot of our marriages are undone by sexual purity, okay? I mean, that is, a, that is a giant challenge. If you want your kids, if I want my sons to have any hope of success later on, if they have a heartbeat in their mail, they're going to wrestle with this, right? So please, I'm begging you to consider uh, coming, consider having them come, but also consider inviting your friends and your friends who have even sons or daughters, again, to create a vocabulary that allows us to have these conversations before they become a problem. All right, this is our current status on mics. All right. What's that? All right, here we go. All right.
great. Here we go. So today I'm going to be the speaker, uh, but what's interesting is today is my last day as the men's ministry leader also. So I know this is my end of my, <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> We're going to have a parade and a flyby after this. Uh, we have the change of command, the guide on. Unfortunately, the guy I'm turning over to is not here this morning. <laughs> so it's Mike Helvey. We're going to be turning over to Mike Helvey. Um, it's the end of two years for me, so he's picking up his tour. Uh, I just want to say I'm exceedingly glad that we have Mike Helvey coming in. When Jim Hassett started inviting me to men's ministry events, Mike was one of the first guys that I ran into. He was one of the first guys I ran around Burke Lake with, uh, so I'm exceedingly glad that, that he's going to be coming here, and we're going to get to see what the Lord's going to do with him. The other thing I want to say is I'm thank, thankful to God that, that he would even uh, make us useful, all of us here and me, that he still finds a use for us. But I'm particularly grateful to Michael Coffey, who's had flying off to South a or to Africa today. I'm grateful to Richard Dick, who was the elder for the bulk of the time that, that I've been in this role. And I'm grateful to Dave DeHadway because they, they actually trusted me with this. So it was either a, a negligent choice where they put a crazy person in charge or they just trusted me, and I, and I really appreciate that and appreciate the opportunity to, to be in this thing. But here's what's something that, night that stuck with me. He said that a few people have come up with to him over the past year or so, maybe a couple of years, and said how special what we have here in the men's ministry is, right? The, the intimacy, the friendships, the relationships, the love of Christ. And then he started reading the Bible again, and he's like, holy cow, this isn't special. This is the way it's supposed to be. It was designed to be this way. And it makes me so glad that we get to be in what God created for us all along. So this is pretty neat. So anyway, that touched me in. So this message, this, uh, this lesson or whatever, is really the epilogue first to the chapter to our, our time on uh, the master plan of evangelism. But it's also the epilogue to two years. The whole plan was to get to this point was to talk about our first love relationship with Christ, building off of that, our marriage, covenant marriage, building off of that, discipleship, becoming disciples, making disciples, and then ultimately going, going into the world. So we're going to jump into it. And this is, I think, a key takeaway. Whatever the question is, Jesus is the answer. Okay? I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's an important life question. The answer is Jesus. So I think there's one important lesson learned that I have to, as part of my role of men's ministry, turning over to Mike Helvey. If he's in charge of leading a retreat, number one, it's three hours and one minute from Fairfax to White Sulphur Springs, Pennsylvania. And it looks like this. So I'm keeping these slides. I'm going to give it to Mike. Now, it is three hours and 27 minutes to White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. So you could, I mean, it feels like the same distance roughly, right, with traffic. But here's the thing. This is the Greenbrier, and we, we found that, okay? Now, here's a little-known fact. If you go from Fairfax to White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, and then White Sulphur Springs, Pennsylvania, it takes a little over eight hours. <laughs> now, if I, I recommend Mike Helvey just take this route right here rather than this route right here. <laughs> okay. These are, you may get tapped to do this job in the future, 
You're going to want to remember this one, okay? That's going to pay off big money for you. Even take a terrible backway route, and it'll still be faster than this. And we took major highways the whole way. So, pearls of wisdom, man. All right, here's another pearl of wisdom, a little more serious. When Dave originally said, he asked me if I wanted to do this, I actually didn't want to do it, really. I was terrified. I was already doing, I was leading the, the usher ministry and the, the children, like, teaching Sunday school. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I feel happier and safer in those because if I screw up, the impact can't be as bad. Like, this thing was already an amazing ministry that was already running. I was like, man, I'm going to go into this and screw it up, number one. Number two, uh, this one's more important than those. And, you know, the Lord kind of, uh, I felt like he rebuked me a little bit with that one, right? So let's, here's how he rebuked me. He rebuked me with a shovel, right? I started, I was out there shoveling snow, and then I realized, I was thinking, man, think about that shovel. If it's out there shoveling gold, or if it's shoveling snow, does the shovel care? No. The only thing it could, what could it brag about? The only thing that shovel could brag about <laughs> was it was useful when the master picked it up. It's the only thing I can brag about. Then I thought about paintbrushes, right? You're that paintbrush, and you're painting, you're Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel, or you're Joe Schmo painting Ortega's Tacos, right? You don't know. The only thing that paintbrush can brag about is, number one, which artist found it useful, and two, that the artist found it useful when he needed it. Like, when he, when, Michelangelo's painting the Sistine Chapel, and you're that paintbrush. You don't know if what part of the Sistine Chapel you're painting. You don't know what that individual brushstroke's doing, but you know it's a masterpiece. And that's the only thing that we can brag about from here on out, is are we useful to the master, right? When he needs us, if he wants us to do coffee, if he wants us to do ushering, if he wants us to teach, if he wants us to go into the world and preach the gospel, the only thing that we can brag about is were we useful when he called? That's it. It's the only thing we can brag about. And that's what this job has taught me, and I've been so grateful for it. So we jump into this idea with this wrap-up, this epilogue. And what does Mike, what does Robert Coleman talk about? One of the first things he talks about is the first thing, literally, fall 2017. First presentation, first slide was what? Purpose. Why? And you look at a military mission statement, and I use this exact example, literally two years ago. And what was it? How do you build a military mission statement? There's two parts, task, purpose. Which one is the enduring part? It's the purpose, not the task. The task changes. This was a hard one for me. When I was a nasty little second lieutenant, I'd already been in the Marine Corps for about 11 years at this point. It does what it's told, <laughs> right? I, I understood. Go here. They said, uh, seize this hill in order to prevent enemy interference with the South. It was a ridiculously simple thing. They come up there, and they say, uh, okay, the enemy's going down this way, though. What do you do now? Every other nasty, stinky lieutenant in there who'd, who'd been in the Marine Corps now for a whopping five months said, go to the other hill and seize that one to prevent the enemy interference with the, uh, with the attack to the south. And I was like, you morons. See, this is what's wrong with the officer corps. They can't follow a basic order. Seize this hill. So it was wrong. I was wrong because I fulfilled my task and failed in my purpose. God forbid. What's our purpose? So I was at one of the prayer meetings on Friday morning, and I can't remember if it was Joe Wittin or Ted Nance, someone brought up the Westminster Short Confession. And what is it? 
Yeah, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. We should be able to answer that. Like, I go ahead, go home tonight, YouTube, what's the purpose of life? There's thousands of videos and not one answer. It's like a snowflake. Each one's different than the other one. Like, nobody's got the, the one same answer except for the Christian. What is it? To glorify God, enjoy him forever. That's it. Everything, every other task we have ties to this, what? Chief end. This one purpose that's enduring and doesn't change. The tasks will change. You're going to have a task, drive to work, task, go to work, do your job, come home, uh, spend time with the family, uh, serve your obesity. It's all the same purpose, Jesus Christ. So we've got to get that purpose right. The second thing that, that Coleman talks about, Jesus Christ, that we in this room, I, if I'm not Billy Graham, if I'm not keep, you know, racking up Billy Graham type numbers, right, then I'm not on track. The funny part is Billy Graham's quoted in Coleman's book saying that if he was in charge of a megachurch, which I found out that I guess we're kind of close to that, right, what would he do? He said, I would grab a handful of men and pour into their lives for two years. And then I would expect them to go out and grab a group of men and pour into their lives for a couple years. And he said, in doing that, we would change the world. That's it. That's the big plan. We don't need to convert the entire church. You don't need a giant congregation. You need a few men that we're, we're all, all of us, are pouring our lives into. The other thing he's, he talks about is failures. Be bold, creative failures. If you look at a lot of our businesses now, a lot of these corporations are starting up with these, model, these uh, mottos, fail fast, right, in the technological age. It's like get through all these failures, and you're going to eventually hit a success. Then the other, or the other one is uh, fail forward, right? I'll tell you, I saw this in my own life. Growing up, my best friend in the whole world, a guy named Pat Espirito, the most gifted natural athlete I've ever met. Guy was, he was only like 5'10", but he was faster than anybody else. He could jump for higher than anybody else, just talented without even trying. Loved basketball. Never went out for the high school basketball team. You know why? His dad said, I don't think you could make the team. You probably wouldn't be good at it. And he believed him. That's the part I, could, I couldn't understand. Why would you believe him? Get out there and fail. I would be in sheer misery if years later, which he does now, he's like, man, I wish I would have done that. Oh, my God. Don't end up there. Don't have any regrets. Look back and fail big. Fail often. Get out there and fail well. Man, I tried to witness to 4,000 people, and I never saw anybody come to Christ. Semper Fidelis. That is fantastic. Keep doing it. Why? Because we're farmers. Not failures. We're farmers, right? What kind of a, I, I would be a terrible farmer. I'm dirty, you get dirt, fertilize, and you're like this. Have you ever seen a farmer staring, like, day and night at his crops? What moron would do that, right? And yet, we think, yeah, I would. Uh, what? We do that. We go, I'm, I've given you the gospel, and you're staring at the person, Right? Why isn't every person that I tell the gospel to automatically accepting Jesus Christ? You are a farmer. Some people, you, you will be harvesting. Sometimes you're watering. Sometimes you're fertilizing. But you don't know. But here's the promise. Is that we look right here. God's word does not return void. Isaiah 55, 11. This is the great joy. It says, so, my, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. 
If you're talking about Jesus Christ at all ever, if you're sharing the word of God at all ever in any context, it cannot return void. It is never a wasted enterprise. It is always a great investment. That's it. You're a farmer, not a failure. Even if it feels like, man, I haven't personally seen anybody come to Christ yet. The, the operative word there is yet. Keep swinging, keep planting. Next thing he talks about is a living witness. Even if we were to go on the street and we're going to go street witnessing and somebody comes to Christ on the street, semper fidelis, that's a fantastic thing. What then? Then the tough part comes in, which is that living witness is bringing them into our lives, right? So how does he say to do it? What's interesting is he says, above all else, pray for them. And that's required being deliberate planning and some concentrated effort. So I've seen this in my own life. So when I was down at Quantico, one of my last jobs as a, a major before I retired was teaching at Expeditionary Warfare School. So I had a conference group for two years of 16 different students. It's not a ton of people, but it's a lot to learn them in detail, learn each one of them in detail. And I really wanted to win all 16 in both conference groups to Jesus Christ. But I was like, man, how do you do that? So I was like, well, I better start praying. Right. So what did I start doing is I took every counseling session I had and they would say, my wife, my wife's name is this. Oh, we had anniversary on this date. Uh, kids, these birthdays for the kids are these. Um, these are things I'm wrestling with. And I just wrote those down. And that became my prayer list on the way to Quantico, which, if you know, is an exceedingly long drive. So you have plenty of time to pray about this. So I prayed through that. And the weird part is just the sheer act of having to remember each of the names, each of the wives' names, each one of the kids' names, each of the anniversaries, each one of the cares and concerns, I knew them better. Right? Yeah, the function is I'm praying, but in praying, I had to remember. And in remembering, I had to care. And in caring, I got to know them better and actually genuinely started to care about their success and failure. The weird part is in praying for them, I started caring about them. And I started caring about them or praying about them before I cared about them. This is important. Be deliberate. Write it down. Pray for the people that you want to come to Christ. The next part he talks about, in order to train them, we have to first work for them. We have to make them an effort, a priority. We have to say, make them a target, make them somebody we're going after. Then we have to seek them, and then we have to win them. But who really wins them, to be honest with you? Who is it? Christ. What mechanism does he use? He uses our relationship with him. It hardly win them through us if we have no relationship with the person. The next part, let them see you. This talks about that close, disciplined fellowship. Let them see you day to day. What is that? We're setting aside Bible study time, prayer time, and time to share our lives. Also, just mixing in things we're already doing. If you're already going to go do a hospital visit or you're going to help somebody move, invite that person, right? If you're just going to go play golf or do something recreation, just invite them. The more that they're around you, you can't contain Jesus Christ. He's going to come out of your life and into theirs. Well, wells of living water, Jesus promise, is going to come up. And you're going to share Christ whether you do it deliberately or, or accidentally, kind of rubbing lives together. The next part, and this is pretty important, what is it? That Jesus is the focus. He's the leader, not us. There is no such thing as this master guru. Okay, and we're going to see a case study about there in a second is that we have to keep our focus on Jesus Christ. Discipler, disciple, both alike have to sit there and learn at Jesus' feet, okay? 
There is nobody that's unique or special in the body of Christ. There are people with different roles, to be sure. But there's no master guru. There's only one Christ. Here's a risk, and I think it's wise, okay? Because, again, as, as most of us in the military here, I think we would give a warning before going into the fight. And what is the key warning? The key warning is if we take our eyes off of Christ, the impact is terrible. Okay, so let's use a, uh, an initial, and we'll go into a deeper one. So shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you out on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water in Jesus. But when he saw the wind and the waves, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When does Peter start to sink? We've all heard this before. When is it? When he doubts. What is he, what, what's the first thing he does, though, physically? He takes his eyes off of who? Jesus. And what does he look at? The wind and the waves. The, the circumstances he's in. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus Christ. We can't do this. And I would even say there's great risk entering into the ocean water if you do take our eyes off of Christ. So let's start with this. European missionaries to Japan in the 1600s. The European missionaries actually had some amazing success initially there. In the 1600s, they won large amounts of converts to Jesus Christ. That was a problem for the Japanese officials. Why? If your king or if your person in charge of your country is a living God that you're supposed to worship, he doesn't want to share his position with a real God, with a real king, right? And so the Japanese authorities begin to persecute the, ja the European missionaries and get a lot of them to recant their faith and kill a lot more of them, okay? And that's where this movie, Silence, comes in. So I was, it was recommended to me. I was like, yeah, Silence, let's go see it. It's a missionary movie. It's depressing. It's a fantastic, but I tell you, I would watch it again and again. Why? It's a cautionary tale for you and I. Why? So we have these two monks played by Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield. You know, the guy that played Kylo Ren and Spider-Man, right? So anyway, these two monks, their mentor, the guy that led them in the faith, has recounted his faith or re renounced his faith in Japan. They're like, impossible. Can't happen. We want to go. They beg to go to Japan to prove. Remember, why are they going to Japan? To prove that he didn't apostatize himself that he didn't renounce his faith. They're not necessarily going there to win anybody. They're going to prove that their mentor, the guy that led them in Christ, didn't renounce his faith. So they get there, and there's amazing success. These Japanese peasants, under terrible conditions, have held on, have held on for dear, for dear life to Christ. And so they're exceedingly grateful when these priests come back. But what's interesting is, at no point did they create Japanese pastors, Right? They're waiting for these European missionaries to keep coming back and leave their church, okay? But anyway, that's a separate, separate uh, message right there. But anyway, they come in there, they're all receiving, and they're exceedingly glad. But the Japanese officials find out that they're hiding these priests. And what do they do? Well, they said, we can't get the priests, so they grab these local peasants, and they make them, they say, hey, look, we're going to kill you if you don't renounce your faith. That's where the priests are. So they literally crucify some and put them out there on the beach, and it takes days for these guys to die. As the water comes in and comes out, they set some of them on fire while they're alive. 
Nobody talks. Nobody renounces their faith. Now think about that. Those are these Japanese peasants. They didn't have an idol. They had one person, Jesus Christ, and the hope of eternity. So then eventually the priests do get captured right here. And then the very first people they meet when they're thrown in there are these peasants. And the peasants are smiling. And then the, ja the priest is angry at them. He's like, what the heck could you be smiling about? We're all going to be killed. They're like, exactly. They're like, yeah, you're the one that said, life. I mean, what are we worried about, right? And so they have to minister to the priest a little bit. But then something happens next. He meets the guy, his idol. He meets his mentor. His mentor talks him into renouncing his faith. He's like, well, I renounced my faith, so you're fine to do it as well. Taking our eyes off of Jesus Christ. And what's the result? He talks him into this big thing of trampling on the image of Jesus, renouncing prayer, renouncing Jesus publicly in every way that he could come up with to the point where both of them end up working for the Japanese to help rat out other Christians. What's the point of this whole thing? The whole point of this thing is this. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, I want everybody to read with me the yellow part up there. This is fairly easy. We're going to read together. Ready? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Thank God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and will not lose heart. The risk of what our enterprise is if we take our eyes off of Christ. If we make ourselves, if we, we have any faith in ourselves, in our own pride, we are doomed. If we have faith in anybody but Jesus Christ, if we, if we even have faith in Marty over Jesus Christ, we are doomed. But if we have that first relationship, and this goes all the way back, this is literally the first slide from two years ago. If we have that first relationship, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. What is it? If we get our first relationship right, everything else works. No amount of success in any other part of our life will compensate for failure here. Then what is it? We have a second relationship, but our field. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. <laughs> no amount of success in any other part of our lives will compensate for failure in these two relationships. Third relationship, second mission field, right? What does it say in Malachi 2? Has not God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what is the one God seeks? Godly offspring. So what is it we're supposed to do with our kids? Lead them to Christ. No amount of success in other parts of our lives will compensate for failure in these first three relationships. Then we build from there to every other part of our life, right? And we go down here to Matthew 28, and it says, Then Jesus said to them, or came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So getting it right. So this was after two years, um, after getting to teach, after being, being able to be in charge here for a little while. This is the one summation statement that I came up with. 
that this is what, what the Lord has put on my heart. But if a man gets Christ right, then the God who spoke the universe into existence with just a word gives supernatural power and authority for a man to be the noble husband, the beloved father, and the world-renowned professional that only God can create. That's the summation. That's it. That's the big secret. That's what we're supposed to go out there and do. So we have some questions here that I'd like you to consider after you go get bagels that are now available. <laughs> okay, number one. I'd like you each around the table. This is simple. Do not interrupt each other. Table leaders, make, start this off and go to your right. I'm making it easy for you, right? All you got to do is say two things. One, have you ever made a public profession of faith for Jesus Christ? That's it. Yes, I have. Let's start off with that, okay, because you already know what the question is. Then, if you have, in one or two sentences, 60, 60 to 90 seconds, maybe two minutes on the outside, simply say, this is what I believe. Here's what I'm promising you right now. There is someone in this room who's never done this. This has already happened. So what I'm asking you is, this is the day, brothers. If you already believe it, then just do it. And I'm telling you, the minute your table will be crying. If you've never done this publicly, and you get to do it in their company, they will be crying. And if everybody at your table's already done it, simple but dope. Then you'll just get to reiterate it. Number two, I would say, if you haven't, and you're trying to do this Christian thing, it's a lot, it's impossible without Christ. So let's start with that public profession. Number two, between today and next Tuesday, I want you to identify one person you're going to tell about Christ and tell everybody at the table who that person is and why. Three, I want you to write down three names of people that you're going to write down, invite to church, and tell everybody at the table why you're going to invite those three, why you pick. They may not come. No fear, you're a farmer, right? Let's go out there and farm. And the last part is three names that you're going to invite to base camp before next fall. Before we start up again in the fall. Okay? No farmer, no failures, only farmers. Okay? Let me close this in prayer, and then we'll jump in. Lord, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you that, Lord, you, that we are brushes, that we are chisels, that we are tools in your hands, that our great bragging point is that we were found useful when you called. So call us. Make clear your direction for us. And Lord, when in doubt, let us go out there and tell someone about Jesus Christ and share the word of God. Thank you for this time. Bless the remainder of our time. Bless our fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn.